Um, hi everyone, welcome to the second day and last day of Dazed Live. And um, I'm Sylvia, I'm the video commissioner for Dazed and uh, today we have Habibi Collective. Um, and this is Isra and Roman who's going to lead us um, into the wisdom and knowledge <laughs> about filmmaking. Thank you. Um, I'll introduce Habibi Collective, so Isra and uh, myself and Bella and Roshin over there were part of uh, a collective. Um, so I'll just introduce that and then we can speak a bit about the session and what to expect. So Habibi Collective, we're a group of industry professionals working across the film and art sectors, coming together to deliver events, to support and showcase the work of women filmmakers from Southwest Asia and North Africa. Uh, we offer an open uh, access resource in the form of a digital archive, podcast, um, and also curatorial events. And Habibi Collective includes Bella Barakat, Shahnaz Dulaymi, Louise Ghulam, Noor Hello, Isra Al Qaisi, uh, Riman Sadani, and Rashin Tapuni. And on the 7th, 20th, and 27th of November, Habibi Collective will present a program on film collectives and uh, political liberation in the UK at uh, the Castle Cinema in East London. So I hope you can come to our event. Yeah. Thank you. So I'm Isra, and um, like Raman said, we are all sort of, we all work in the industry and we're embedded in various ways, whether we're artists or filmmakers or programmers. Um, so my background is very much in traditional cinema spaces and traditional mainstream cinema, um, but veering into moving image instead now because it's more interesting. Um, and the reason to why we wanted to do this session is because I always find that there are certain barriers to actually getting funding to get your work made or even creating something interesting and curating programs. Um, and everyone here has experience in either commissioning or being commissioned and funding applications um, and so we thought it'd be worth having a conversation in terms of the fact that support is out there it's just about knowing how to get it because some of the ways of getting it is quite traditional still um, but then also to have a conversation about what you can do in terms of thinking outside the box and other opportunities that are in place um, so I'm gonna let Sylvia introduce herself and then Rahana and then yeah um, hi guys, <laughs> I'm Sylvia, video commissioner at Dazed. Um, I used to be a producer at British Vogue, so I've got the whole admin side as well. And um, I also am one of the co-directors of Skin Deep magazine, which is a platform for um, black and POC creatives working towards um, justice. And um, yeah, that's me. Rahana? Uh, yeah, I'm Rahana Zaman. I'm uh, an artist filmmaker, so I have I come from a visual arts background, um, and uh, yeah, I work on short films mainly across like experimental documentary, mixing fiction and non-fiction sort of forms um, with different visual techniques and. That's it, I think. I teach as well, so I'm a like I'm a part-time lecturer um, at an art school and teach in other contexts. Um, maybe we can start with Rihanna. Um, I'm thinking, Rihanna, if we can 
reflect a little bit on that moment of leaving the art school. Uh, I think a lot of people, like from my experience, the friends I speak to, it's a difficult moment when you step out of the institution. You often lose access to tools, equipment, studio space. So I'm just wondering if, if you can tell us a little bit about that time. How did it feel and how did it impact also making work and continuing your practice? Um, I'm j I was just trying to think, like, actually, because I did my undergraduate in London um, at, at Goldsmiths and then, and then I had a period out for about five years and then went on and did like a postgraduate and for want of an imagination went back to Goldsmiths and did it there again. But I think when you asked me that question, I, I was just thinking, oh, which, which education do you mean actually? And I think from my, from my undergrad um, where I went, there was a lot of conversation around an encouragement to take a lot of time out and not go straight on to your postgrad because of you know, this idea that you will get a lot more out of it and that you'll, um, yeah, you'll have a chance to think about what your practice might be outside. And you don't actually need a postgrad to be working as a successful artist. A lot of artists can just make it work. I think now with the, when I was studying, um, there wasn't this like crazy criminal fee system that is like basically, you know, burdening young people with like crazy debt uh, in the same way. So I think also that is a consideration. But when I finished my undergrad, I actually just was like um, a bit burnt out from being in the institution and a bit fed up. So I just was quite happy working for a bit. And I just got a job at the Tate selling tickets. Like literally it was that just so I could go see shows for free because um, actually there's like this reciprocal agreement which means that you can get into any major gallery and stuff if you work at an institution. So it was that and it was just like starting to also just see who stays in London after, after that experience because a lot of people scatter um, and I'm from West Yorkshire, very small town, not really an art scene at all, um, near Leeds, um, which does have an art scene but I kind of was really wanting to try and make it work in London, but didn't have like any financial backing at all. So for me, like getting a job was just like a no-brainer. So I did that for a bit, and then um, and then like from there, just somehow like got a bit of experience working in programming. Um, like a lot of mu museums, they do like secondment schemes, um, and just like put myself forward and started working in like education and um, public programs. And then from there got a better job working for actually for Art Angel, this um, arts programming place. Uh, that's quite a while ago now, but it was a trainee producership. At that time, there was also a lot of like positive action, what they call positive action traineeships, very much like the creative case for diversity. A lot of galleries realized in museums they were very white and they needed to do something about it. So the Arts Council gave them money to employ some brown faces. Um, I was one of them. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, I think there was a point where I just sort of realized that, oh shit, I've just slightly started to get a career in curating and I wasn't interested in that at all. Um, and all the while I'm still thinking like, how do I keep making work? Um, I didn't have a studio. I was, yeah, doing things. <coughs> I'd sort of decided to work in performance actually, weirdly, in writing. I was doing a lot of writing at that time because it was cheap. Um, I hate to say it actually, but yeah, it was super directed by an interest in like live performance and stuff, but um, it was also very accessible and an, and an easy way to make work. And, and I was interested in like aspects of theatre and writing and script writing particularly. Um, 
I guess I was also working at that time with a lot of, I was, I was friends with a lot of people who were involved in sort of DIY music and um, gigs and sort of punk sort of stuff. And actually, I think there was a lot of that as well, like this idea of um, the space in which art is shown crosses over with those types of music spaces but that people were sort of putting together in a very sort of lo-fi kind of way. Um, so I, I realized that I wasn't doing, I think I made like two or three pieces of work that I'd not be embarrassed to talk about during that five years. Um, and then decided uh, I just got really sick of working in institutions and quit on my jobs and tried to get on an MA. Um, but I think the, the benefit of doing that and then doing this MA and like actually being able to, at that time there was funding for MAs as well, which I'm, I feel like it's a bit of useless information, but that sort of helped me to, to get into those spaces. Um, I think the benefit of like staying in London actually was that I, over those years, I built up a really strong network of friends um, and other people who were working arts and music. And also having worked with a few different institutions at that time. So like other artists who were selling tickets at Tate, um, people who were working at Art Angel who then went other places. I worked at the showroom gallery for a bit. I started, I feel like I, I also built another network of friends through like working with people, um, just through like everybody trying to like hustle a bit. Um, and so I think by the time I finished my MA, I, I kind of feel like I, yeah, didn't really have a master plan, didn't really, wasn't financially in a better situation, but I think I had the benefit of uh, a group of like-minded people that I trusted and could work with and that we could sort of quite quickly make things happen without needing quite a lot of money or, um, yeah, there was just people to have conversations with around work that was actually quite supportive and encouraging. Mm. And when it comes to, I guess, making moving image work, like how do you approach that? Do you work with, I don't know, like a film crew? Do you set budgets in advance? Just to think yeah. of that other like logistic side as well. So, um, so I got much more into moving image on my MA. And um, I think, so coming out of that, I think um, it really varies. Like I actually had a conversation about this like last week that some, some moving image stuff I do will have a budget which demands like an arts council application um, and some stuff I've done super cheap and super lo-fi like for like um, next to nothing uh, you know borrowing a camera from a friend um, filming things myself editing things myself um, and working with friends who maybe you know 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 a little bit about this sort of editing software um, but then some things I've, I guess with each project, um, so just to give you an example, one film I made, uh, uh, somebody I met through a friend on my MA ended up curating a show in Australia. She had like 500 pounds to give me as a, as a production fee for a project. Um, and for that, I just, um, I managed to make a film which I filmed myself, like I, I'd, I'd got like quite a cheap DSLR, um, borrowed some equipment from some friends who had like a, like a just literally like a tripod and I don't know, like some sat a, a microphone, um, used a bit of that money to book a studio, um, found some actors who also wanted some stuff for their showreel, like on casting call, like free websites and stuff. And so this was like a mutually beneficial relationship. 
um, and then yeah like edited it myself so I actually like managed to pay those actors 75 pounds each uh, for the film and so actually all the money went on paying those actors 75 quid and booking the studio and then on the other hand um, I've done stuff which is more like 25,000 pounds or something I, I've never made anything in, in more commercial rates, which would be over like 100, 200,000 for a budget. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely still within a bracket of um, a smaller budget. But I think there's also something around, I think quite a lot about like where money goes <laughs> actually and how money is attributed, um, particularly in like the context of like austerity and um, coming from like a particular background where money's like not, you know, um, just like, filling up the coffers or anything. I think there's just uh, trying to think about like an economy of means, but also um, thinking carefully about money, where money is attributed. So, so yeah, I think with a budget like that, um, I had I applied for an Arts Council grant and worked with an institution. I think, I think this, there's something um, a bit jarring sometimes with these presentations, because I think if you're just starting out and you don't have the backing of a gallery or a museum or like someone to work with to help you refine that language, it's so difficult to get these grants. Um, I think like the White Pube have a really great resource, which is like a library of applications that you can look at on their website. So you can just get a sense as to actually the language that people do use to get, to get this kind of funding. It's called the white, you know, the white pube, the art critics. Um, so it's just whitepube.co.uk. Yeah. And we'll make it available yeah. on the website because, yeah, we were thinking of how they demystified this whole process. Yeah. So there's something about demystifying the application process, but there's also this power, I think, in challenging what the application process is that is really necessary because um, otherwise the system doesn't change. So. Um, yeah, like another another really good grant um, for, for smaller pots of money that is maybe a bit more attainable is also the Elephant Trust. Um, I think, but yeah, generally, I think if you can, I, I think the, the benefit of also being friends, uh, having like an, a community, um, I want to say community, not a network, because I think it's really important that they're meaningful relationships and not just people you're exploiting to get what you need. Um, is that it can be really helpful because like, for instance, I get asked quite often now to be on funding panels or um, judging panels for things randomly, I don't know why, but um, it's just seeing the conversations that happen in that room, it's often really helpful. Often people, what isn't made explicit is that people will often use knowledge they have prior to the application in judging it. So if they know people who have put in an application, if they have heard of the place where they're showing, if they have some other bit of information they can build a bit of a, a bit of a real world connection with to the application, that really helps. So I think um, it's, it's super helpful if you yeah, if you like are talking to people about your work or connecting with people whose work you like. Um, I think that was something that dawned on me really late that, oh, I, I really love this artist's work. I could maybe just like talk to them after their show or like reach out to them. And obviously people are super busy, but um, just, yeah, just reaching out and just like letting people know what you're doing um, is, is also a really good way of sustaining what you're doing, I think. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to touch on, touch on what you said in terms of changing the process and I was wondering if 
because you've commissioned for various platforms and now you're working with Dazed, if there was anything in your experience in terms of the commissioning process that, you're, that you find archaic and that you're trying to change, or you know, if you can sort of strip it back to the basics in terms of what is the process actually like, in whether it comes to briefs or pitching. Well, okay. There's a lot um, of questions in one. Yeah. I think also it's quite interesting because um, I worked with various different institutions. So I've worked with commercials, used to work a lot with Nike. And so I would see all the commissioning coming through and the commercials is like a whole other beast. Um, and then I worked for British Vogue, which is a massive institution, even so, even if they say it's editorial, there's a lot of like limits um, that you can't really um, cross. And that's why I left Vogue. And now at days, it's pretty much like whatever I want to do, which is great. So in a way, like I've kind of like um, destroyed a little bit all the boundaries and walls um, and um, it's difficult working with institutions. Um, I think commissioning process now at days for me is very much depending on the editorial team. Obviously, I'm sure you guys know Ib and Lynette are, we have this whole new team going on, a lot of communicating, like, and, and it's also like honing into younger talents, understanding what is, what's important now. Um, and for me, having Skin Deep as well, I sort of, I keep saying that it's like, I'm rooted and I feel deeply rooted. And when I used to work with Nike or Vogue, I felt like I had a split personality where like, you know, fighting for racial justice on one side and then just selling things that people don't, can't afford on the other side. And I just felt really, really wrong. Um, to give you like a idea of Nike budget, it's like three million pounds budget. And a lot of it, I think 10 grand would go into like a juice bar and it's disgusting and that's something that on a daily basis you have to like live with and it just didn't sit right with me but it was a necessary process because you can see how in commercials um, how they work a lot of people are involved there's many cooks and um, a lot of money going around it's really good experience if you want to be a runner on a commercial shoot I definitely would recommend it it's a really really tough but you get to see like a lot of equipment a lot of stuff happening um, don't get sucked into it though. Um, that's one advice I would say. And yeah, for the commissioning process at Vogue, um, so I used to be a video producer, so it's all about budgets, budgets, budgets. It's like how can you make something within that budget but still make it editorial nice? Um, obviously Vogue is a platform that everyone wants to do and I used to get quite a few emails back then, like I've got this film, da da da, I wanna do this, but Vogue has their own slates, they have their own formats, they know a lot of the things that really sort of made me like ick was oh they're not very on brand and that's something that needs to change um, but that change it changes from the inside but the thing is that no matter like how much change Vogue wants to do um, they're still an institution itself it's really hard to change from the inside like big institution that sort of built on very specific kind of you know beauty standards of messages like they love the royals i don't get it um that's one of the things i'm like okay um 
And in terms of days, because there's so young people facing forward, there's this constant need of like wanting to do better and wanting to do more. Obviously, I say that because I work there now. Um, but um, but it's like the commissioning process is so freeing. Um, and what I see in commission when I get a pitch, I obviously I like to see nice things. We all do. Um, so put in the work into building a treatment that is that is like good and concise and nice is very important. Um, make sure that you have a library of um, references, like a mood board. I always say like have references. I used to like, because I direct as well, and I, when I watch films on Netflix, I like screenshot everything because you just can't, we don't have those libraries of film. Like you're like, oh, I really want this scene in like, I don't know, a bar, very specific shot. And then you're, you have to go back to your archives. But if you have a folder of screenshots, I always go back to and use it. Nowness is a really good platform for um, uh, really nice lighting, really nice grading. Um, people like that. And as a commission, when I see that, like brief, very, very short, and then nice little pics. And then I'm like, okay, let me have a look. Um, I don't, I know it's awful to say that, but like, I just don't like like a word doc. <laughs> it just doesn't work for me. It's lazy. It's it doesn't it doesn't feel like people like care about their work. And if you you know your your treatment is the your a reflection of like how much you care about your project, and that's ultimately what I really I'm looking for. Like you, I know people put their heart and soul into the project, and that's why it's so for me as a commissioner is very like I'm I need to be very careful. Of, like taking it as well because um yeah you give as it i think as filmmakers and directors they put their whole life into it they're literally opening up themselves um and so it's really important to to understand that very good uh we talked a bit about in, including the presentation but we also talked about in terms of this need for funders to understand what you're doing and um for you to have like sort of quite a lot like you need to be established in a way do you feel like if someone were to pitch to you like how much are you expected to have already done in terms of you know as an artist how much already needs to be in place quite a few bit i'm not gonna lie um i need to see that you've worked on a few projects um it's fair like it's true like we want to see collaborations because that's how you know that's just how filmmaking that's what filmmaking is actually is collaborating with other people um i want to see who you've worked with who you follow on instagram who follows you it's awful to say that but um but in a way like that's something you know collectors that you um worked with before as well like everything is important um because it, it makes me like I understand who, what kind of person you are, what you believe in, what you care about as well. Um, and it can get really lonely filmmaking if you're gonna do it alone, it's too much work. Like making a film is, you have to build a family. Like you said, like not a network, a community, and it's so important because like I said, like making films takes a lot out of you, especially if it's something that you care about. Um, and so like really like, having allies or, or friends and family around you to make the film is very important because there's always going to be someone on set that like a random gaffer that's going to be saying something that you don't like and it's going to bring the whole like energy down so if you're protected and you'll protect other people the film that you'll make is going to be incredible and 
people will see that it's like you're making magic with family which is great um, but um, yeah collaborating I always say collaboration if you like something someone's work just DM them like email them I love your work let's go for a coffee I have people DM me all the time like hey I love your work and I talk to you and I'm like yes like it's a lot of that like yeah just feel like don't be shy and just go for it there's a lot of I feel like anchoring yourself in something so anchoring yourself in your vision and in your beliefs and in your you know sort of talking about experiences and institutions and where do you where do you stop and you go actually I don't want to continue this anymore and just to be ready for that step back perhaps does anyone have any questions at this point not a single question <laughs> for a panel of, of experts do you have a question maybe I'll ask a question to Sylvia I'm just wondering because I guess we were talking about like you know artist work which can be like quite solo like depends on your personal research I'm just wondering like how can a commercial commission benefit an artist uh, <laughs> massively it's yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so much money in commercial um, it can benefit because obviously we live in a society where people just love references and they're like oh they did something for I don't know like Mew Mew and they're like sick okay you've got credit like it's awful but you have to play the game a little bit again like we were talking about like you have to play the game but also like keep your sanity is which is why like, it's so important to anchor yourself. Um, I would like, the way the industry works is that you're gonna be making loads of film on a very small budget, which shouldn't be that way. And that's the editorial side of it. You get to create and explore your own style. And once that style gets picked on by like big agency, they're like, oh, we want you to make an Adidas commercial like you did for this one. That's how they work. I don't know if that's helpful, but that's exactly how they work. They're like, we want you to do the same thing. So in a way you're doing the same work with more money. Like, and because for commercials, the client has a lot to say. As a director, if you're coming as a director, they're loaning you. They're not, they don't really, you don't have like massive creative freedom, but you get loads of money for doing not a lot which is a benefit in some way. You're kind of be like, everything that you've done before is being paid off in some ways. Some directors, they only do commercials for a living. I don't think that's the right way to live. I like, it's just like, you're just doing a job for doing a job. Like someone just going to the office to do, I don't know, no offense to accountants, but like basically that. Um, it's not creative, but some, I know a lot of filmmakers who make like, one or two commercials a year and they're kind of sorted for the whole year because it's a lot of money and then you get to pay back people who you've worked with on very small budgets like that's how you build relationship you say I scratch your bag you scratch my bag in a way it's awful but it that's just the reality of it and um, and you take your family with you like I would you know I a lot of my friends believe in me and then we will make a film and I'm like I don't have any budget I'm really sorry but at the same time like if something else hits I'm like as a director or as a producer you can be like I won't take this job unless all these people are coming with me and that's when you that's when you rise together and that's where you take over the industry together mm -hmm. Rihanna how do you feel about that when an artist 
turns towards maybe the commercial space as a way to keep making work <laughs> where there are bigger budgets or maybe there's more exposure i'm just wondering like what do you think <laughs> yeah that's that's a funny question um i think that um i mean what artists do, what other artists do is totally up to them um i think for me uh, it i it kind of does matter a little bit like that thing that you talked about about like um the client and the and the constraints of the client i think um i think i would that would be quite a big consideration for me like where i'm like beholden to somebody else um and i think also like there's a question of like what do you want why are you making this in the first place if you're making stuff to make money then for sure like that is that is really the realistic route to be taking but if you're making it because you want to do what you want to do and it would obviously be great to make a living off of that i think sometimes i think there is a compatible space to inhabit where you can make money and survive um and and still do what you want to do and i think like with every single project that comes my way i think there's like a bit of an ethical consideration like do i want this money do i want to be doing it with this person do i believe in what this brand is how am i being instrumentalized by bp or shell or like or you know adidas or whatever but like actually maybe with one thing i wouldn't mind so much but with another thing like i'd be like absolutely no way but then you know the i'll be real as well like i i have to I teach because i really like teaching but also that subsidizes my practice like that's how i pay my bills because the money that i earn from making work and showing work doesn't you know doesn't really cover that um but i get to do the projects that i want to do and like actually the things that i'm super interested in and want to explore um i take my people with me and i've i've got a family of people that i really enjoy working with and like each one gains um yeah like there is there is progression within that it isn't like you just stay at the same level um so i think there is i think like you have to sort of weigh it up yourself in terms of like what you want from your work and and with each um bit of funding i mean the arts council isn't neutral like all these all these places all the 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 sources where money is coming from isn't um necessarily pure um but there's definitely ways in which you can like try and have like take a position um otherwise you kind of <coughs> I feel like it's a bit dark the the idea that you can't <laughs> and that you're beholden to just where the money's coming from. I feel like that's a bit of a depressing thought. Yeah, I think sorry just to jump in on that when you're working with clients on a commercial it's really important to know where your boundaries are at, what the parameters are for you as well because they will push they will be like let's just shoot it in like this estate and you're like no you know and they will literally say things like that where it's just completely um insane but for the right like it's like the right client the right brand at the right time and one of the things that like for example this film my friend um Iggy London the director he directed um something for Harrods at first he's like i got this Harrods job I'm like oh like why <laughs> and he's like it's a lot of money I'm like okay and then but the treatment is very much his like he really took it on and it was like obviously with Kai and all that and it's like loads of he got he got mostly creative control over it but he also like put his boundaries and like set his boundaries and said like that's so this is what i want to do and if you don't want this then i don't know why i'm here for so it's like they need you more than you need them that's something you need to remember 
and if they use like if they get you on board for something that is not you like you're like but why you know there's no do you point. think you have to be in a certain position though to, to be able to set boundaries <laughs> so that's part of playing the game <laughs> but with to a certain extent uh, it's, a, it's a balancing act I've definitely sold my soul to certain uh, institutions just just to get in there really and then you sort of go okay I didn't like that anymore and then you step back but that was after many years of of hustling and trying to get in there and then you re because the thing is sometimes it just feels like there's where do you go from here like mm -hmm. if you've delivered something and in, in, you know whether it's funding or you've got a commission it's really hard to know where to go in terms of keeping it independent and true to yourself mm -hmm. but there were also like I, I also feel like that you always have options like it can feel like you don't have options but there are different ways of doing stuff and I think that you don't get a lot of airspace for the other ways of doing stuff sometimes and it and that's why it is about finding your people because actually what you thought you couldn't make happen like maybe you can make it happen but in a slightly different way um, I think also it's like it's not just about like um, if you're trying to make work about a certain set of issues like say you you say actually racial justice is like at the heart of what you want to do or like accessibility is at the heart of what you want to do I think there is a consideration about like well how is the way that this is being funded or like presented or where it's showing like actually really compromising like what what you've set out to do in your um, what you're trying to what you're trying to like do with the work do you know what I mean so I kind of feel like there is even if you feel like helpless, I feel like maybe that's where you find your people to to sort of be able to take that confidence to push back or to just say, actually, no, I'm going to do this a different way. Um, and it's really important to be genuine, I think, and just sort of going back to like, because in terms of, like you said, in terms of building a community as opposed to networking, people see through that. And like the things are sort of shifting in terms of more genuine voices are getting into places where they can, there's you know less gatekeeping and they can sort of engage more grassroots activities and that's great. But if you're trying to, I'm not saying that anyone is, but if you're sort of coming across as someone who just wants to get to a certain point, you're doing yourself a disservice and you're doing your, like the sort of the work a disservice. And it's just really important to so like from the get go, um, yeah, to be true to yourself, I guess. And to focus more on that. Yeah. Any questions? Um, yes. I don't know if you covered it, but how did you get into teaching? Um, like, so teaching is like even more nepotistic than art. I think <laughs> <laughs> like, like literally like a real mystery, and I'm still trying to work it out. But um, the first part of call is like go back to where you you studied. Like, so actually, I teach at Goldsmiths now. So um, I, I started off like went back to my foundation and. Um, just contacted like people who who knew me and knew my practice and a lot of I think it begins with like doing a day doing an artist talk I think there's always things that are really helpful to, for students graduating to see someone who graduated a couple years before I think um, you can also just like cold call people like if you've done a few shows like if you're doing a show in like a random city um, you can just like contact the art school there and be like oh I'm you know I'm, I'm in Glasgow and I've, I'm doing this show you know are you ever looking for um, an artist talk or like someone to do a, a come and do some tutorials I think generally if they're like um, smaller art schools like they're quite easy they're easier to get into um, but actually some of the bigger art schools are actually a bit more open to people with like more experimental practice or um, less like established ways of doing stuff um, 
so it's a bit of a toss-up but I know some people just contact it's around like sort of May time where people start doing their like curriculum like the booking in the visual the lecturers for the next year so that's always a good time before the summer term like around May to contact people and they they might just have a gap or something but it, you know I mean like also Oh no, I'm not going to go down that route. Talking about that, like, sorry. Hi, Red. That's just too d boring right now for this conversation. Anyone else? Go on. Um, with the arts funding, um, with anything you apply to and can get money for, do you guys have any like tips or tricks or ways that you can like get better at budgeting? Or is there like when you get arts funding, do they say like you have ten grand, but you can only spend like this so much on this much on like this thing and this much on tech and this much on space? Or do you just have like full control of that money? Because like that's quite scary having that much money and like having to budget that and like you know not spending it all on equipment and then having nothing left to like hire a studio. Like, do you have any tips on budgeting and things like that? So for funding, I'm really stingy, and <laughs> I uh, I've done a few funding applications, successful ones, and I would just actually you need all of that pre-planned it's really annoying because a lot of your effort goes into the funding application and so you kind of just it's it's free labor because you've done half of the project before you've even applied because you need to know everything you need to know exactly who you're working with where there's scope for things to change but you do need to get quotes in um, and then you need to show proof afterwards that you did spend on what you said you were going to spend it on and so you have to really check what the market rate is you have to get quotes you have to know where these quotes get from um, or where the things are coming from um, it's never ever ever a question of them giving you the money and you going mm -hmm. whatever you want to do with it all of that budget stuff comes beforehand it's quite rigid um, some I've had funding applications where they question how much because they talk about equal pay and then you go cool I'm paying this person 300 pounds a day and then they might say oh that's a, that's a lot um, and so I've had funding applications in terms of people ask the like, people questioning why so much is required um, so I would always go in low what about what would you say about sort of commissions you, you don't just get handed dosh um, and then well I mean I mean having been a producer budget is so important like you really it comes with practice as well um, if you have like a producer friend or someone who's you know who is wants to get into producing like that's their main job and when you budget things, it's so, you can get, you can see also the scale of your project as well. Like, you can't just be like, oh, I want to make a film, five location, 5,000 pounds, impossible. Like, how are you going to pay for transport? How are you going to pay for, you know, catering? Like, it's like all these things, five location, how far are they? Like, you really have to break it down. Um, and commission wise like yeah if I get something like I want to make this film and I'm like well listen I only have three thousand pounds and they're like yeah I'll make it and I'm like no you won't like I know exactly how unless you're pulling loads of favors which I don't think I would want someone to do because it's messy it's like it's you have to like think I don't know what the, the like the triangle is in the film industry but it's like time money and like something else I don't remember or like quality I think quality and you can't have three at the same time yeah. so people say hopefully one day we will but um, like either you have time or money and you don't have quality <coughs> or either you have no time no money you know so it's one of these things where like I want to know that you're being reasonable as well 
Like, I don't want someone to be like, oh, we want to do this and there's going to be a tiger in there. I'm like, but have you had an han animal handler? But some people do that and I'm like, I don't think this is possible. <laughs> then it, <laughs> sorry. But then it like, it compromises the project because I'm, as a commissioner, I'm like, oh, sick, there's going to be a tiger in there. <laughs> and then you, final film, they're like, oh, we just didn't have any more money left. And you're like, well, I can't, I can't show this anymore because what your incentive was the tiger. That's a very broad example, but for, like, you know, I need to know that you're able to, you know, you're able to step, like you're able to deliver what you promised. Um, yeah, so yeah. be realistic and think of everything. Cause like the handler for situation or catering or whatever, but think of everything and yeah, know like exactly people the need numbers. To, if people yeah. are working for you, you need to feed them. Yeah, yeah. and how many people it is and stuff. I think one other thing I would say is like pay yourself. Like don't forget Arts Council, they won't give you funding if you've not paid yourself. In, so you have to work out your own day rate and you have to put that in. And then you can, there's a, there's a sort of a thing that you can pay, you can do support in kind, uh, which means that you can budget in like a calculation for your time, but then you can say, well, I'm going to give this for free. So I know that like when I, I can't, if I itemize my day rate on a film, like I know that I, I can't afford myself, but basically I can't afford 300 pounds for 10 days editing because it takes me 10 days and then like 10 day shoot or something. It's like, it's going to get astronomical, but I know that I can put in for like 10 days filming and then those are the 10 days I'll pay a supporting kind. And they kind of, they're actually saying now they, they, they have particular guidelines around it, but also pay, like you can build like the world that you want. If you're like sick of getting paid crap, like think about how you can pay properly um, yourself so artist union have like recommended day rates so you can go there so if you don't actually know how much to pay someone you can you can you know check up like what a good day rate is so if someone asks you how much do you want to get paid for something you can say i want 300 pounds a day because actually artist union have worked out that that's what you need i need for a living wage so don't keep like perpetuate those like self and if they then come back and say look we don't have that then you can negotiate and say okay this I will do it or I won't do it or do you know what I mean you can then you do have power like I think that's the thing to remember and when I work on shoots now I because I acknowledge that all these like exploitive hierarchical systems mean that people from lower economic backgrounds or black and PSE people don't get a look in because you know of the world so it's like how can I do it differently so when I organize a shoot everyone gets paid there's a flat rate so everybody gets paid the same so even if you're a runner or even if you're a camera person you like go into that shoot knowing like everyone's on the same rate because all of those skills are vital so on a small scale if you're working on a small scale you can institute that change and model like best practice so I think it's about like how you in control and you can like yeah create create the kind of working environment and the labor conditions that you want to see and obviously if you're working and commissioning in a different sector then you might have to compromise that but that's up to you but if you're in control of it like why don't you just make like i work with largely women of color shoot uh, crew members now because that's actually what i want to see and that's who i want to work with so it's like those kinds of decisions that you it might mean that you have to it takes a little bit longer to find the people that you want to work with um, but maybe that's better for your project actually do you know what I mean it's it's again it's like what's happening behind the camera is just as important for me as what is happening in the work itself um, so it's like how are you yeah and then that person having had the chance to work with you as a DOP who might not have worked before then has something on their CV that means that they can go on and yeah, so it kind of like is about how you change in the working conditions generally as well. You contribute into something. Um, you might not want to do that, but 
That's the, uh, that's the other way Last as well. Question. Last question? Last question. Yeah. Did you want to ask the question? Yeah. I'm just wondering, is there a reference or a similar database for once you've made a film and you're trying to distribute it independently and like to know how much you're entitled to ask for? Distribution is, is that needs a whole demystifying <laughs> session of itself uh, because no one talks about it, frankly, to be honest, and all these deals are done behind closed doors. Um, if it's a short film, and also platforms don't pay a lot for short films, so even like I had a friend, I curate something for the BFI player, and then I found out afterwards that she was given like a hundred pounds for a one year. Uh, like you know her film was on there for a year and a hundred pounds is not a lot for that kind of uh, sort of fee um, so I'm no I would say there's not really a platform Do you, can you think of a platform that just well, tells it depends. you what if you are working in like mean like um, so film London I think it is like film, they do like a digest of like film festivals that you can apply to so you could just start submitting your films um, through open calls a lot of them are unpaid um, I wouldn't put anything in that you have to pay for because I think there's like a false economy there. Um, if you're working in artist film, like Lux do like a digest as well of like opportunities where you can just submit and just try and get your film seen. I mean, also if you're like getting to know, um, if you're going to stuff where you've spotted there's someone curating some really interesting programs like Habibi Collective or like someone else, then you know you could send you could send them your film and say. I've seen, you know, what you're showing and I think there's a connection or something. Um, I think a lot of people don't want unsolicited um, work being thrown at them. So I think be mindful of that. But then other people are really open to it because they want to get around these ways in which work distributes and try to support informal channels as well as formal channels. So, yeah, there's in distribution, I don't think there's a huge amount of money, but then um, you can't start somewhere as yeah. well um. and I would say like with depends on also the production house for instance I got a grant from Jerwood film video umbrella and they had a budget for distribution so they had a small budget so they would pay for like all the applications you know to festivals and stuff so again it depends on who you end up working with and maybe that's part of the agreement that you ask them for a budget for distribution just to submit to festivals and things yeah Costs. Come talk to us because I, I think about this all the time, distribution, <laughs> and I've got some ideas. Um, that's it for us. I feel like we could have talked uh, much longer, but we're running over. We have run over. Uh, thank you so much to Rahana and Sylvia and Rasheen and Bella out there and to Dazed for having us today. And you can always reach out to us if you have any questions. So thank you. Cool. Thank you.